0: Would you rather have a bad sneeze or a bad laugh? Just answer the question. We're gonna start off with a little survey. What would you rather have in life? A bad sneeze? We all know somebody that has a really bad sneeze. Itchie. Itchie. Or a bad laugh? It was just such a coincidence running into her. <laughs> oh, oh, God! Are you okay? Would you rather have a bad sneeze? Or would you rather have a bad laugh? What a tremendous morning we had. (laughs) Those are the options, folks. Look, I don't make the options. These are your God-given options. Pick one. Or pick neither. Or maybe you know deep down that you have a bad sneeze or a bad laugh. Or maybe you know somebody that has a bad sneeze or a bad laugh. Let's not point fingers. Let's not judge anymore. Let's just talk shit behind their backs, okay? Let's all go back to talking shit behind each other's backs. Enough of this. Up close and personal discourse, enough. Folks, we have too much stuff. We got too much stuff. We now have documentaries about minimalism, how to scale down your life. But even minimalism takes a lot of work. Now you need a smaller car, and a smaller house, and a smaller stove, and a smaller chair. You need a smaller lawnmower. You need smaller soap. You need a smaller toilet, and a smaller butt, to fit on that small toilet. You need a smaller mirror, and a smaller pillow. You need a smaller desk. You need a tiny little desk. The minimalism movement. Oh, how daunting is that? We already have too much stuff. Way too much stuff. We have wish lists for so many different occasions. Hey, what do you want for your birthday this year, huh? Hey, what do you want for Christmas? Hey, you're graduating. What should I get you for your graduation? Hey, it's Hanukkah. What do you want for the first night, second night, third night, fourth night, fifth night, sixth night, night, seventh night, eighth night? What do you want for Hanukkah this year? What do you want for New Year's? What do you want for St. Patty's? What do you want for Cinco de Mayo? What do you want for Tuba What do you want for Easter? What do you want for Passover? What do you want for Flag Day? What do you want for Arbor Day? What do you want for Friday? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Just look at my wish list. Hey, write out a big wish list. Put it on Amazon. Guess what? We don't need anything. Most of us, we don't need anything. Consumerism makes us feel like we need some things. There's a long list of things that we don't need. It's probably at your house right now. Just look around. Look around. You have bookends. Have you ever had a use for bookends? What would happen if you didn't have bookends? Would your books keep falling? Do you need decorative bookends? Do you need expensive bookends? No, you don't need bookends. Look around your house right now. Just look around. Think about your house. Think about your bathroom, your kitchen, your living room, your bedroom. What percentage of that stuff do you need? Eh, 42 is the answer. You need 42% of that. Do you really need a standing desk? No thanks. A standing desk? I'm seated right now at my desk, speaking into this microphone. The idea of standing right now sounds a little exhausting. No thanks. In my entire lifetime, I've received three paperweights as gifts. Paperweights. You know damn well we, the human race, has never had a need for paperweights. You couldn't just find something heavy around the room? If it was that windy to keep paper down, you couldn't find something heavy? To just put on top of a stack of papers? Paperweights? No, thanks. You don't need it. You know how many little things future generations are not going to need, but their parents might tell them you need? You need dish gloves. Who's doing the dishes with dish gloves still? If it's hot, put a little more cool water in, huh? If your fingers are getting a little pruney, that's fine. They'll go back to normal fingers soon. Pruney finger, it's not a permanent condition. Who's putting on those rubber gloves to wash dishes anymore? You don't need them. I got a long list of items you don't need. I'm going to say it right now iron. In my entire life, I think I've ironed something twice, and I don't have wrinkled clothes. I just don't need an iron. Hang them up, throw them through the dryer for a minute. You need an iron and an ironing board. What a production! You put water in the iron, you spill it all over the place, you wet your shirt, you burn your shirt. Makes your shirt seem like it has so many different angles and directions. No, no, I'm done. We don't need irons. I don't think I have that many friends who are ironing their clothes maybe once a year when you go to a wedding, but who's even going to enough occasions to require owning an iron? My wife's birthday is coming up, and her family goes off of a wish list. They don't give random gifts. My wife's family goes off of a wish list. What do you really want? And as my wife was perusing Amazon, we agreed, nothing. She likes great restaurants, experiences, but items, we're done. We don't need any more items. We, the human race, actually, there's a lot of people in need. I don't want to discount that. But in my suburb... I was driving down the street the other day, and a lot of these houses just have their garage doors up sometimes. I look in. I look in. I invade their privacy, and I look in. Holy shit, what an explosion of useless items. Just look like this room, this wooden, dank, dark room we call garage, just barfed up a bunch of objects. That aren't going to be used. You have a garage, do you? You're listening right now. Walk into that garage. Okay, look around, look around, look around, look around. How many of those things have you used in the last year? Those swim rings, that George Foreman grill, keep looking, that trampoline, that broken trampoline that you've been meaning to fix. Look around that garage, that cassette player, you about to use that? No. Okay. How about all those paint cans? You going to get to that anytime soon? No. How many yardsticks and brooms and rakes? Count. I'll give you a chance to just count. How many do you need? How much camping equipment? You really need. You go camping once every 10 years. Look at your garage. You don't need all that shit. You can barely walk anywhere. We don't need anything. We don't need anymore. How about in the house? Why do we shove so much shit into our homes? Have you seen all these signs? These home wall signs with quotes and messages? You've seen these? Some of them are just letters and decals that you stick on your wall. This is our happy place. Come in and cozy up. Did we lose our creativity? We need pre-made home decor wall signs. What is this shit? An angel blessed this room. Exclamation point. That's a sweet font covering your entire wall. I'm asking you right now, how many of those wall signs do you need? I'm just going to read some from the internet. This one says home, the story of who we are and a collection of all the things we love in this very flowy, ribbon-like cursive. You walk into someone's house, if they have a bunch of these signs, just give them a lighter and wink at them. You know what to do. Just give them a lighter, wink, say, you know what to do. Burn them. This one says, live every moment, laugh every day love beyond words it's a butterfly floating over big giant letters with this dumb mantra hey welcome to my home in this room it says home sweet home a fortunate family feels fresh what does this one say let me see this is actually funny oh in this house we do real we do real What? We do mistakes. We do, I'm sorry. We do fun. We do hugs. We do forgiveness. We do giggles. We do family. We do love. What are these instructions on your wall of things that you probably don't do because your family's just always fighting and no one ever refers to these. Oh, this one says, bless the food before us, the family beside us and the love between us. Oh, what a great message. Every family needs 900 of these. I could read all of these, but I could just sense you're getting annoyed that these even exist at Kohl's and Target and Walmart and you know someone probably gave you one many years ago and you put it up on the wall and you're like why do why do we have this? You just put up a fake one. Make your own. See if anyone notices. An angel rests upon this house of filth and fuck faces. Just in a beautiful cursive font. See if anybody notices. <laughs> The good Lord reminds us all to flush twice, if need be. Heavenly aromas fill our kitchen. Thank goodness we're together. And if, in fact, it comes out tasting like shit, well then, put the plate on the ground for the golden retriever to enjoy. What the hell does that sign say? I mean, it's a beautiful sign. There's certainly a lot of butterflies around it, but they're telling us to put the shitty food on the floor? For the dog, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. What's on your wish list? An iron? A standing desk? Just look at your garage right now and ask yourself, do I need a wish list anymore? No. What percentage of presents do you even like? You always have to just smile and nod. Oh, thank you. Wow, thank you. I was low on plastic license plates from a tourism store that have my name on it. How's that exciting to anybody anymore? Spinning something, spinning a rack of names to find your name at some tourist gift shop, souvenir shop. I hope they have Josh. Oh boy, I hope they have a shot glass that says Josh because that's my name. They do. It's $28. I'll take one. Oh, a keychain. I'm going to spin this rack. I'm going to spin it until I find Josh. Oh, they have Josh. Oh God, this is quite a day. Well, I can't wait to find a plastic, a little plastic license plate. And instead of it having an actual license, it's going to have Josh. <gasps> Found it. Oh, how great. How American that we have these shops where you just go any town in America. Shirts, hats, sweatshirts, shot glasses, postcards, and keychains. Who's buying this shit in airports? Who's shopping for any of this stuff in airports? It slowly convinces us that we need it, though. Even me, when I see wine glasses, I'm always thinking, should we upgrade? Do we need more wine glasses? It's usually just me and my wife having wine. What am I picturing in my head? What am I picturing? A scene out of The Great Gatsby where I just have 20 people in my backyard drinking fancy wine in these fancy glasses? It's never going to happen. Maybe once every two years, I might have enough people over which would require a lot of wine glasses. But really, this is in my head, the things I might need. We all consume materials that way. Well, we might need it one day. Well, you might as well just have it in case you need it one day. We don't need the shit. We don't need it. Look at your garage. God, there are some garages of homes on my street that look like decrepit haunted houses. Who wants this portion of your house to just be dedicated to a bunch of shit? No, thanks. Although I have a major shoe addiction and I need a therapist. I Google shoes three times a day. Foam runners, Air Max, boots. There aren't that many occasions for the amount of shoes I would want. And I know it's a sickness because new shoes to me, the idea of new shoes feeling new dissipates in about a month. After a month, they just become another pair of shoes. How sad is that? That better not be a microcosm for a lot of things in life that they're real shiny. And new and sweet at first. And then, well, just loses its luster. We're always looking for the next. I just wrote that. That could be a great song. We're always looking for the next. It's kind of punk. It's kind of late 90s. Limp Bizkit, Incubus. Remember that terrible era for music? You remember? You remember? Have you ever seen a history documentary? Just like real ancient history. Who are these experts acting like they're so confident and almost condescending with all of the details? How do they know so much? All these historians and professors at fancy universities in these history documentaries, just speaking so specifically about these historic figures from hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And you have some professor at Dartmouth, Neil Dinklage, professor of history at Dartmouth. Well, Alexander the Great had a monster temper. Every morning he would wake up and just whoop the shit out of his children and his wives. But Alexander the Great had a great appetite for stews. He would love rabbit stew. He would chop his own tomatoes each morning. And Alexander was quite talented in the world of culinary experimentation. Alexander was quite a womanizer. uh, How do you know? Did you read this in a book? Is this word of mouth? Hey, historians, how do you know? Hey, all of you professors at universities who study history, how do you know such specific details? Cicero was a great long jumper. Cicero was uh, quite an athlete in his day. The whole town would come around to watch Cicero lift the heaviest of rocks. Oh, really? How do you know? Voltaire had such a cunning wit to him. Voltaire also was a karate expert and was known for keeping his room oh so tidy. If there was so much as a sock out of place, uh, Voltaire would have a three-day meltdown. And everyone watching this documentary just goes, oh, wow, Voltaire was pretty clean, pretty tidy. Okay, we all just buy this shit. All these professors, Diane Gladstone from Oxford University. Oh, of course, Euripides was really intoxicated at most public appearances, but what separated Euripides uh, from the rest of society was the intellect that brought Euripides uh, to a very respectable level of respectable, respectable honor and respectable honor and respect. Oh, so Euripides was pretty respected, I take it? Er... uh, a lot of people will uh, see Nefertiti, and they'll see the hat. But what they don't know about Nefertiti is that she's great with watercolors. She's great. She would blend the colors and paint. She could paint a tree and a river. Wow, Nefertiti. Nigel Nudson, professor of historical studies, historian of literature at Princeton, was really able to break down Justinian the Great in that documentary. Nigel, man, he must have read, what, a book? And then they film him in his glasses and his tie in his big amphitheater classroom. And Nigel tells us, Justinian the Great loved paper. He loved paper. He would roll up drugs into paper, smoke his drugs, and he would write on the paper, too. He would even read words off of the paper. Whoa, Justinian really understood the use of paper. Oh Justinian He had really, really impressive backney, the type of back zits that would make a squirrel run up a tree. What? Justinian the Great had backnee? Of course, and chimples too. Chimples Come on, Nigel. Chest pimples and backney? I think it's time to get back on track. I'm watching a history documentary, goddammit, and I need to learn about Justinian. What else you got, Nigel? Professor of Historical Historian Studies of History. I've read a book, and I'll tell you, Justinian hated swords, but he always carried a sword. Oh, interesting fun fact. Why did he carry a sword? Well... He carried a sword because his mother-in-law would get a little yippy at times and he had to keep her in check with the threat of violence. Okay, I think, Nigel, I think that one might have been a guess. I don't know if you found any of that out on your own, but hey, you're in a documentary and you have an accent and you're a professor of history or a historian and the graphics look professional to me, so hey, I'll take your word for it. That's history. We're just relying on a lot of secondary sources, aren't we? Secondary, tertiary, famosiary, penitentiary, penitentiary, penitentiary sources. (laughs) Your garage is full of shit. Okay, I said it. You don't need any of that stuff. Okay, your cousin left a sleeping bag at your house five years ago. And you're keeping it just in case your cousin comes back for the sleeping bag. He's not coming back. Toss it. By the way, speaking of great production value, all these documentaries that look professionally made, current teens don't appreciate editing or production value at all. It's just too easy with apps these days to create something. These teens can make a movie. They can make a slideshow. They could do a news package right on their phones. They have the apps. They just film the video. They know how to put the graphics up. They pick the font, all these effects, all these bells and whistles. It looks really polished in the end and they put it up on social media. And everyone's a director nowadays. Everyone's a professional editor. See, I marvel at that because in college, what did I go to college in the 1800s? Sometimes it seems like I'm so detached when it comes to the current tech that makes things so easy. But in college, one of our big projects in journalism was to rent out a video camera on a tripod. You film your whole news package which is about 30 different shots. And then you spend about a week in an editing booth, in a real booth, where you take the tape from the video camera and you feed it into this Final Cut Pro machine. I don't even know what it is. It's like old school splicing film, splicing tape. Takes you about three days to add a graphic. News reporter Josh Rosenberg from KCR. And you stand there with your microphone rolling the B-roll over the voiceover. And it's like, all taking days and days and you're studying sheets of how do we do this with the b-roll and then how do we edit the sound over and then how do we eventually put the package together and it all comes together and it really does take a while and now i just ask a student in journalism hey can we do a feature today on how students feel about the vaccine 11 minutes later it's done and the students don't even have a look of accomplishment they're just like here oh that's what you want here you just use this app you just use this app. You take the videos and you just use the app. And now it looks like that. I'm like, that looks fucking professional. They have no appreciation for production value. I bet kids today just watch a movie and they go, okay, like Pete Davidson's character, Chad on SNL. Okay. Like, where's the wow factor. When I watch a movie, I notice all of the great editing, the fade in, the fade out, the score. The distance shot, the close-up, how dialogue is shot. Like, I'm really noticing all this stuff. Teens, they don't care because they view it as easy. They probably think the process is easy. Yeah, you just use iMovie. You just use Final Cut. What, just on your phone? You just do all this? Where's the wow? Where is the wow? That's happening now. I guess it's impressive. I mean, to me, they're not going to be impressed with their own work a lot of the time. These apps, let's be honest, these apps do make a lot of things kind of easy. And then they look awesome, but it also just increases the amount of people producing art. So I think they do become desensitized to quality work. If that many people just go on any high school journalism website, any high school newspaper website, the type of work they're churning out is just as good as the nightly news. It is. I mean, maybe the content isn't up to par, but the actual production value of what high school journalists are doing on these websites, just news packages or even high school filmmakers. A lot of high school films I'm blown away with. And I don't know if this is because I teach at a school that has the Marin School of the Arts and all these artistic prodigies, or if that's just teens today. They're just good at things because they understand how the tech works and the tech is easier to use than ever. And okay, I'll never be techie. I just never will be. Even if they all taught me the apps, I'd probably struggle with it. There's gonna be no transition to what I'm about to say. There's gonna be no segue, segue. No smooth play on words. It's just going to be me going from that to, hey, you never see an NBA player with one tattoo. That's hokey, right? But it's true. Hey, what's the deal with tattoos in the NBA? But honestly, if you go from the days of Dennis Rodman, where it seemed like he was the only guy with tattoos, to right now, it's not just like NBA players have some tattoos. They all seem to have full sleeves, neck tats, shoulder tats, back tats. Calves all tatted up. Just a lot of art on display at all times. A little distracting. Not because I dislike tattoos at all, but I actually want to see. So many of these guys have committed their full arms to art and they're at the free throw line. And I know I'm focused on the free throw. I hope he makes the free throw, but I'm also looking at, like, who is that? Is that just like a portrait of your grandpa? What's that message? Is that a quote from Nefertiti or Justinian the Great on the inside of your bicep? What is it? So many words. It's like a full sunset, moon, stars. You'll never see a player in the NBA with just like one tattoo. Like, I got a lightning bolt on my thigh. And everyone's like, all right, Arthur. Why don't you turn that lightning bolt into a real mural, okay? I bet you're viewed as soft if you only have one tattoo. If you have no tattoos, that's fine. But if you have one, people aren't trying to hear that. Plus, I don't have any, so there's that curiosity. I'm probably going to go my whole life. Without knowing how it feels to get a tattoo. Which is very weird. Because I've reached this age where I don't want a tattoo. But I'm curious how it feels to get a tattoo. And the reason is the wide range of answers I hear. Anybody who's ever had a tattoo that I've met. I ask them, did it hurt? And the answers are all over the place. No, nah, it's fine. No, nah, it barely hurts. Eh, it's just a little tapping. You don't really feel much to, Oh my god, it fucking killed I had to take a month off of work. Oh my God, it was the worst pain I've ever, ever experienced. And I know it's dependent on the body part. I get that. But how could there be such a wide range of answers when it comes to tats? Like if they hurt, if they actually do hurt and 90% of the NBA players have full sleeves, it's a high threshold for pain. It's time to show these guys some respect. What's the percentage of remorse too? if you're 23 years old and you dedicate your arm to a full sleeve? Mural, portrait, message by the time you're 60 you look at that same arm do you connect with any of that could you imagine i'm 39 i say my age on this podcast a lot because let's be honest i'm leaning into 40 i'm leaning right in but if i got 30 tats when i was 21 22 years old oh my god i would like zero of those today zero i'd have the warriors logo i don't know I'd be okay. I'd have the old Aztecs logo, which is probably not politically correct. That cartoon Aztec that I used to love. I'd have a full portrait of Will Clark on my back. Just two feet by two feet. Guarantee. Okay, now that I say this, I might like them all still. That's good. I'm in touch with my youth. I'm in touch with my youth. Full side. Paul Mooney died at age 79. Who's Paul Mooney? There's no transitions. There's no segues on today's podcast. Who's Paul Mooney? Paul Mooney is someone you might know of. And when I explain who he is, you'll go, okay, sounds famous. Sounds interesting. But I think Paul Mooney may have been more of a force in the world of comedy than we ever knew. Also, what's interesting is Paul Mooney was on Twitter and the day he died, there was a tweet. I wonder if it was that soft of a death where he was able to send a tweet right before he went to the light. I'm going to read that tweet. All right, so Paul Mooney died yesterday. He has 63,000 followers on Twitter. His Twitter bio is, I am the real Paul Mooney, godfather of comedy, author and producer. Paul Mooney, godfather of comedy at gmail.com. And then he tweets on May 19th. Thank you all from the bottom of our hearts. You're all the best. Mooney world, the godfather of comedy. One moon, many stars. To all in love with this great man, many thanks. Okay, I guess that wasn't from him. Someone tweeted for him, but I was wondering, is he tweeting on his way out? And that's the tweet I saw. I guess I didn't read it close enough to know it was probably written by somebody else. But then you read the obituary and you realize he was behind so many things. In Living Color, The Chappelle Show. Saturday Night Live, The Richard Pryor Show. He wrote jokes for Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor. Isn't that a little weird when you hear that maybe the greatest comedian of all time, Richard Pryor, widely viewed as the greatest comedian of all time, didn't really write a lot of his material? He performed it, and I know it's his life story. It's his biographical info in his comedy. But Paul Mooney might have been the voice behind all of that. I am guessing that's not happening anymore. If you're like this current generation of comedians, you're writing your own stuff. Right? Right? I'm just hoping it's a meritocracy where the funniest people and the most creative people are also succeeding with comedy. But Richard Pryor was a great performer. But once you realize how many of these jokes were written by Paul Mooney... You start to wonder, does it take away a little bit from Pryor's legacy? A little bit? I say, yeah. And I love Richard. But today we honor Paul Mooney, who has passed away fearless, almost so fearless that he was outcast by many production companies. He was a little too bold. He was a little too angry for a black American to sound that way in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. But his writing credits show up on so many important films, and he's been the voice of reason and humor behind so many comedians. You got to think that he was just like this wealth of knowledge that never really landed as a legend on stage. I mean, he's performed comedy his whole life. But when you look at the IMDb, you're just like, oh, okay. This was a mastermind. This was a genius of comedy in a country that may have not been ready for him. Might have pushed him to the side a lot of the time, but he always found the right vehicle to get his words out there. On days like this, when someone like that passes away, I think it's so important to just spend a second learning about what they contributed to the world of art and the great performers who are biting his style clearly. Clearly just biting his style. If I say Dave Chappelle, Eddie Murphy, and Richard Pryor, are you kidding? All at one point relied on the mind of Paul Mooney to write the greatest material. Yeah, the comedy world lost a legend. A legend. All right, we're done. I think that's it. I was about to talk about NPR tiny desk concerts, but I'll do that next time. Actually, I did realize this real quick. Not to do a little addendum to the last podcast, but I was talking about how this current generation might have it tougher than all the others. And I forgot to talk about school shootings. Here I am talking about, they survived the Trump era and they survived the pandemic. They survived cyberbullying and all this. And I forgot that a lot of them live in fear when they are on campus because of all the school shootings and mass shootings that they've heard about that have become normalized in a way. I don't want to say desensitized, but it's barely shocking anymore when you read about a mass shooting, which is a scary thought because Columbine happened on 420, 1999 When I was a senior in high school, I remember Columbine, and it was so foreign, this idea of what? Shooting on a high school campus? And now this generation, that's their entire life of seeing stories like this pop up and pop up and pop up. So you're damn right they're full of anxiety. You're damn right they're on edge and we need to address their mental health. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, that's the last podcast. That's episode 139. This is episode 140. It's different. That's just a little footnote from the last one. Now we're all out of order. We're all out of order. we got to get back in a chronological order. We're moving on. Next time is 141. Today, you just sat through 140 and that was a little pearl from 138. Oh, File all of that away under who cares just say goodbye just say goodbye already all right episode 140 it's in the books i'll talk to you soon